This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. The title of my message today is For the Glory and the Fame. For the Glory and the Fame. We're going to look at uh, a couple ways that I believe God is calling us to be glory carriers in the earth. What do I mean by that? Well, in just a moment, we'll answer that. First of all, I want to I set the stage for this series by saying this. I believe that God is calling us to uncommon living, to uncommon living. What do I mean by that? When you, when you hear the word uncommon, what typically comes to mind? Something that's rare, something that's unique, something that's distinct, different, unusual, uh, I was reading about uncommon things this week, and in my time of study, I found out that a total solar eclipse happens once every 100 years. How many of you guys know that's pretty uncommon, right? And for many of us, we've never experienced that because we weren't alive. Think about this. You have to be alive 100 years or at least once in, in that 100-year span to experience it. I think we just had one like a couple years ago, didn't we? Yeah, so how amazing is that? But it's uncommon. It's unusual. Uh, I was studying about super blooms in the deserts of California, and super blooms happen every once in a while because they're uncommon. And what happens with a super bloom is the desert seeds of the flowers lay dormant under the soil for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And And then all of a sudden it gets this amazing rain like it had this year, and these flowers just blow up all over the place. And if you've had the chance or privilege to see a super bloom, it's amazing. You have these dirt, uh, dusty hills that are just covered with orange and red and, and green flowers. And it's just, it's, it's miraculous. It's, it's amazing. But it's uncommon. And so when I think about things that are uncommon, I think about things that are not everyday kinds of things. But here's what I believe God wants to challenge some of us to this morning. He wants to challenge us to get practical with the ways that we live uncommon lives in the here and now, meaning right now as the church. And to do so, we need to look to our example, the uncommon one, his name is Jesus. Jesus is uncommon, there is no one like him. There's no one above him, there's no one who can contain him, who can control him, and last week we celebrated the fact that no one could defeat him. Come on, Jesus is uncommon. And because he's uncommon, this means that you and I, If we call ourselves or consider ourselves his followers, it means that we are called to an uncommon way of doing life. It also means that this place we call earth is not our final destination. It's not our final home. Hebrews 13 verse 14 is kind of, kind of help us jump right in today, but it's, it's an unusual text because it tells us this, for this world is not our permanent home because we are looking forward to a home or some translations say city, yet to come. Okay, so this world is not our home. This world, in all of its glory, is commonplace. But we are called to an uncommon faith, to follow an uncommon savior, and to do so in uncommon living because we're going somewhere. There's a destination for us as the people of God. Now, as believers, we look forward to the day when God will fully and finally consummate his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Um, in that moment, Revelation chapter 21 tells us that the old heaven 
and the old earth as we know it is actually going to pass away. So if you're investing in this earth and in this system, I'm just, I hate to break it to you, but it's going to pass away. And then Revelation 21 tells us that a new heaven and a new earth will come. This, this heavenly Jerusalem brought down from heaven as the epicenter and the holy center from which God himself will dwell with all of his people. That is the hope that we have. And sometimes, here's the mistake we make as believers. We emphasize salvation as a here and now thing. And we're right to do so because God wants you to be saved. He wants you to be set free. He wants you to be fully alive in Christ. But your salvation is here and now, and it is coming. Meaning there is a salvation that we are looking to as the people of God that we have yet to receive. And so Paul uh, and the writer of Hebrews here and many throughout the Old Testament are trying to point our attention to the fact that our salvation is coming and therefore we're implored to endure well, to suffer well, to believe, to remain steadfast, to keep going. Now, there are times when I've felt like quitting. How about you? You ever, you ever felt like giving up on this whole thing called the, the spirit life, the Christian life? It's tough, right? Did anybody tell you it was going to be easy? If they did, you have the permission to go punch them in the face. <laughs> no, don't do that. But the truth is, it's not an easy road. It's not an easy path. And so we have this expectation as we're following Jesus that there is, there is salvation to come. There is something that God is going to save us from. And we're going to explore some of that throughout this book as well. But until then, until God finally comes and and consummates his kingdom here on earth, and Jesus returns and makes all things new and sets all things to rights. How many of you guys know that we're living in a world that is full of death, that is full of pain, that is full of tears, that is full of grief? Anybody ever experience any of those things? Put your hand up and look around the room today, okay? You're not alone. Every single one of us who breathes experiences this reality. We've all been touched by it because that's really the only thing that the world in its current form can offer us. It can only offer you death. It can only offer you pain. It, even, even the pleasure and the success it offers you is temporary and fleeting at best. But the good news is, this is not the only thing that Jesus offers us. Jesus shows us how to live in this world and not be of it. Say, in it and not of it. In it, not of it. He shows us how to do life here and now with a great expectation of that salvation to come, of what's to come. What am I saying today? He shows us how to be uncommon, how to live an uncommon life. So that's the setup for where we're going throughout this series. And to do so, I believe God has given us as the church this amazing letter. We call it the book of Hebrews. And he's given us this letter to help us in our faith, uh, to encourage us in our faith as the people of God to keep our eyes focused and firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So over the next few months, we're going to explore the book of Hebrews together in what I'm calling a practical guide for uncommon living. My goal is this. I want to help you pay attention to some specific things that maybe you've never even read before. Some of you might even be here today and you might say, Pastor Jason, I don't even know what you're talking about. Where is the book of Hebrews? Where do I find this letter that's supposed to encourage me in my faith? So maybe today or listening or watching this online, you're, new to, you're going to be new to all of this. And I'm excited about that. Praise God. Maybe you've read the book of Hebrews before, but there's things that you missed 
or stuff that, that you, you maybe you know, ignored or, or didn't see. I'm hoping that that will come alive for you as well. So before we jump right into our, our main text today, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that as we, we explore this amazing letter together, this letter that was intended to encourage us in our faith, to help us learn how to persevere, to live in this world but not be of it, that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to do so through the power of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, go to Hebrews <laughs> chapter 1. And we're going to start right there today in verse 1. And we're going to focus on verses 1 through 3 this morning. So we're not going to get very deep today. But there's somewhere I'm going to go, and I think it'll make sense here in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3 says this in the NIV. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, you might want to highlight that or swipe that or underline that in your Bible. We are living in the last days. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Say all things. We were singing about it today. To you are all things. From you are all things. You deserve the glory. And here's what it goes on to say in verse 2. And through whom also he made the universe. Verse 3. And this is where we're really going to hyper-focus today. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I'm going to say it again because I really want this to, to be formed in us. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Is that what it says? And the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Now, the title of my message, as I've already said today, is this, For the Glory and the Fame. Today I want to talk to you about glory. I want to talk to you about fame and I want you to say it with me today, glory, glory. and fame. fame, glory and fame. Let's face it, we live in a world that is consumed with these two things, glory and fame. The money and the applause, we might say. Having an impressive reputation and being well-liked by others. We see it all over our culture, don't we? From rock stars to celebrities, from sports entertainers to social media influencers, success is often defined by who gets the most glory and who receives the most fame. Glory and fame. And we need not look only to our world and to our culture for, for cues and for clues. What about us? That's where I want to begin today. What about our lives? What about your life today? How is your life bringing glory and fame to God. The question I want us to wrestle with is this. Does my life speak of the glory and fame of God's name or mine? <laughs> Can I say it again? Does my life speak of the glory and fame of God's name or mine? You guys remember Solomon in the Bible? You guys ever heard that name, Solomon? He was the son of David. And Solomon was tasked with building the temple that was going to showcase the glory and fame of God in the earth, at least at that time, pre-Jesus, right? And this was a specific place that David had had in his heart that was burning in him to build for God. And God said to David, listen, I, 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 it's never been my desire to live in temples built with human hands. In fact, 
all this time you guys were wandering through the desert and throughout Canaan, and I never needed anything from you. I never asked of anything from you. I didn't need you to build me a big steeple and a big chapel and a big temple with stones cut out of the granite rock of the canyons. I didn't need you to do any of that. But David's like, no, I will not rest until my Lord and my Savior has a resting place. And so God said, listen, I, I, I'm gonna honor your request, David, because I can see that your heart is for me, that this isn't coming from a, a bad place or a selfish place. Your, your agenda is purely to showcase my glory and my wonder in your life and in the life of the people I'm calling you to lead. So he's like, but here's the deal. <laughs> you got too much blood on your hands, David, because you're a man of war. Can I just say something as an aside? I love that David is a man of war. I'm like, let's go. Come on, put a, put a, put a weapon in my hand. Let's go fight some people. Let's go. And God's like, well, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Okay, now, David, I love you. Your heart's for me. You're a man of my heart. But there's too much bloodshed associated with you. Remember, David's killed his thousands, and, or Saul's killed his thousands, and David's his tens of thousands, right? We don't really know that it was tens of thousands, but that was the song. That was the popular hit of the day. David is a conqueror. David is a man of war. David is bloodthirsty, and no one can defeat him. So that was the reputation. And because of that, there was a problem with who was going to receive glory and fame from David's efforts. So God says, hold up. David, you're not going to be the one to build this. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let your son Solomon build it. And David's like, all right, sweet. So Solomon comes on the scene years later, and he's given this task of building the temple. And the temple is significant because the temple is supposed to be the epicenter from which God himself will rule and reign over his people. Now, you can go all the way back to Abraham and you can see the call, the specific unique call of God on Abraham and his family and Isaac and Jacob who becomes Israel, right? And then the 12 tribes and then the people that are given this special, unique anointing and privilege to represent God's heart to all the nations of the world, including all the Gentile nations, right? But there's, there's this, this problem. <laughs> they keep making idols. They keep worshiping other gods. They keep doing things that are wrong. They keep falling into wrong relationships because they're human. Do I know anybody like that? <laughs> and because of this reason, God had to help them understand who he was by giving them some uncommon perspective. And to do so, he gives them this, uh, this design for the tabernacle. Are you guys tracking with me today? And the tabernacle was to be this place where God's presence would actually reside. His manifest, some might say, concentrated presence of God would come and dwell over the mercy seat that, that was with Moses and the people in the desert and that was then going to be transferred into this temple that Solomon was going to build. And so as a result, the temple is very important to God because the temple is supposed to tell the world about who God is. It's to declare his glory and his fame. Say it with me again, glory and fame. So Solomon is given the task of actually constructing the temple. And here's what it says in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 3, and then verse 5. 
You know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him. Verse five. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will sit on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. So Solomon sets out to do what God has raised him up for, to showcase his glory and his fame in the earth. And things are going pretty well. In fact, so well that they complete the temple project in seven years. And if you're interested in that and you want to read about that, just go to 1 Kings 7. It chronicles the whole thing. So construction's finished, and the priests... They bring the Ark of the Covenant, which had been fought over and warred over. At one point, the Philistines had it. Then the Israel had it. Then they lost it, and they got it back. So, they, so Solomon commissions the priests, and the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the temple that has been finished. And 1 Kings 8.10 tells us, When the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Can you just pause with me a moment and imagine this scene? The, the, the presence of God is so thick. In fact, they didn't even need hazers or smoke machines on stage. It was so heavy, so thick, so weighty that the priests who were, uh, the, the Levites who were given this specific task of ministering to God couldn't even stand. They were like this. They were just down literally on their faces, just, just completely wasted. And every time they'd try to get up, they'd fall down again. And they'd try to stand, and they just kept falling over. Now, I'm sure, you know, if we were there today, we'd think they were drunk or whatever. But the, the power of God and the, the cloud of God's presence was so heavy, so weighty, that they couldn't stand. They'd try, they'd get up, down again. They try to get up, down again. And so I can imagine this scene of all these guys just trying to like get up and God's just whacking folk. He's just like, boop, you're down, boop, you're down, boop, you're down. And no matter how hard they tried, they could not stand because of his glory. In the Bible, the word glory or the phrase the glory of the Lord is often used to describe this weight that comes on people's life. Okay, it's a, it's a weight, but I want you to think of it like weightiness, okay? Like substance that's heavy. And people's response is typically what happens here. They can't stand up. They are just laid down before God in holy fear and reverence. Friends, when the glory of God truly falls on a person or truly comes on your life or your family, something is gonna go down. Now, in a culture where we're all trying to be seen and noticed, hey, notice me, like me, look at me, let me stand out above the fray, above the crowd, above all the pretenders, I want to be the best, right? What's our goal? To get up, to get high. But every time the glory of God comes, that which is high must come down. And there's this principle that says that the high things of God that exalt themselves against him are the things that are going to come crashing down, tumbling down in our lives. And anytime we try to build up our lives, build up our reputation, build up our image, a crash is coming. And that, and, and that might even be advice for our nation right now too. 
Anytime we try to make much of ourselves, get ready, because we're about to be humbled. And this is what we see happen here with the priests. So Solomon, under the cloud and the weight of this glory, he dedicates the temple, he, he consecrates it, and then he blesses the people, the assembly of Israel. Here's what it says in 1 Kings, just a couple chapters later. Chapter 8, verse 56. A couple of verses later, I should say. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. Why has he given them rest? Because they've been wandering in the desert, fighting kings, fighting giants, fighting Nephilim, fighting opposing tribes. And so he, they have finally come to a place of rest. And according to all that God has promised, not one word has failed of all of his good promises. I could preach a sermon on that, but if God has given you a word, it will not fail. And he says this in verse 60, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God, there is no other. I want you to hear that today, that the Lord is God, there is no other. Solomon makes it really clear here, you guys, that this is about God's glory. This is about God's fame. This is about his name and his reputation in the earth, not Solomon's. And everything's going pretty good, but, and this is a very big but today, but this will always be tested in your life and in mine. Because the minute you and I get serious about it being about God's glory and his fame, a showdown or a test will always show up. Look what happens next, 1 Kings 10.1. Now when the queen of Sheba had heard of the fame of Solomon, not the fame of the Lord, but the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. What's the test, you guys? Here it is. Is the glory that truly surrounds your life about God or about you? Is God's name famous in your life for his sake or for your sake? But the challenge doesn't just stop with one test. Soon after, what I'm going to call today glory thieves show up. What's a glory thief, you ask, Pastor Jason? A glory thief is any person or thing that attempts to steal or hijack God's glory and fame. 1 Kings 11.1. 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Uh-oh, things are starting to go awry. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh. <laughs> this is how powerful and influential Solomon was, that he could have his pick of all of the king's daughters. But he didn't stop with just the Pharaoh's daughter. Would have been enough, probably. Probably could have united their kingdoms. Peace throughout the land, good times, food for all. Let's go. But he got his eye on Moabite women, and Ammonite women, and Edomite women, and Sidonian women, and Hittite women from the nations concerning, so all the nations concerning which the Lord had said to Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither they with you, for surely if you do, they will turn away your heart after their gods. You guys notice the list here? Moabite, Ammonite, Hittite, these neighboring peoples and tribes had but one purpose, 
to steal and hijack the glory of the God of Israel, to thwart the plan and purpose of God for his people, to steal his glory and to wreck his fame and to destroy Israel whom God loved. What did Jesus say? The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's what's about to happen here. So Solomon, he loses sight of the glory of God, and he begins to be enticed toward the glory and love of all these foreign women, and with them the love and glory of their foreign gods and idols that they worship. And sadly, this causes him to turn his heart away from God. And all throughout the rest of the book of Kings, you just see one king after the next repeating the same cycle. Just getting wooed away to be like the culture, to, to, to make love to the culture, to kiss and embrace the culture, to be intimate with the culture. And can I say this? God is not wanting his people to embrace the culture, but to be prophets to the culture who can stand and declare the word of the Lord in season and out of season, who have righteousness established in their being so they're not thwarted from this project or this assignment, but they can walk in their destiny who God's called them to be. And this is what's starting to happen is Solomon, who was given this great assignment to construct this temple that was going to be the glory and, and fame of God throughout the earth, gets his eyes on these ladies and he starts giving his heart to their gods. And next thing you know, he's enticed and the whole people follow. But just a few chapters earlier, the presence of God, the glory of God. We're like, how does that compete? Well, guys, don't we do that? Come on, we're in here on Sundays. Worthy is your name, Jesus. And then on Monday and Tuesday, we're like, worthy is my name, <laughs> Jason. You deserve the praise. Worthy is my name. Aren't I great and special? Everybody look at me. Well, that's what we do. One minute under the weight and glory of his presence the next minute about our glory and our fame. So the scriptures tell us that as a result of Solomon doing this in 1 Kings 11, the kingdom of Israel becomes split. A great divorce takes place. Israel in the north, the kingdom of Israel in the north, and Judah, the kingdom of Judah in the south. And over a period of many years, these two kingdoms would clash. So because of his uh, being wooed and seduced into loving all these other foreign women. He follows after their gods. And then that brings uh, a schism and a break and a divorce between the kingdom of Israel. And now Israel's fighting with itself. Gosh, does this sound like anything or anybody you guys know? Jesus said it this way, a house divided cannot stand. A nation divided cannot stand. But it starts with getting our eyes off of his glory and his fame and putting it on us. So, I want you to hear my heart today. As much as God loves us, and he does, okay, he loves us. You're like, well, this is a little intense today, Pastor Jason. I know, I'm a man on a mission. But as much as God loves us, he will not share his glory with another. He just won't. And there are going to be times, you guys, in my life and in your life where this is tested. And you're going to have to ask yourself, is this, is this decision I'm about to make, is this about my kingdom, my 401k, my investment, my white picket fence, my car, my American dream, fill in the blank, or is this about the glory of God? Will this decision promote his name and his fame in the earth? Will this 
point people to Jesus or will this point people to the culture of idolatry and other God worship? That's the question we need to wrestle with. Because God will not share his glory and fame with another, Isaiah 42 reminds us, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. And why will God not share it, you guys? Is it because he's a hog, a bully? No, it's because it's his glory. It's his to begin with. It's not ours. And unfortunately, not all who hear this message are going to be committed to God's glory and to God's fame today. But you know who is? You know who is committed to God's glory and fame? Jesus. Jesus is, because as Hebrews 1.3 declares, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is the glory of God in flesh incarnate. Jesus is the glorious and famous one. Where David's son Solomon failed, God's only son Jesus succeeded. And he did so to bring us into a real relationship with God the Father, with a glorious and famous God. Why? Because as I already said, he loves us and here's where things should hopefully connect for you today because he wants you and I to be his temple. Solomon, build me a temple. You know what he says to us now today? I want you to be my temple. I want to put my Holy Spirit in you. I want to showcase my glory and my fame in you, Jeff, and in you, Candace, and you, Scott, and you, Jen, and Tim, and Phil and Lori. I want you to radiate with the person of Jesus, the radiance of God's glory himself, so that his name and his glory and his fame can be made famous all throughout the earth so that people can see God and go, wow, God is good. He loves me. He's for me. He's not against me. And that, my friends, is why he will not share it. Because it's specific to what's going to bring people into his heart. Jesus succeeds in this. And he wants us to be his temple to showcase who he is. Which means that you and I are called to be glory carriers, not glory thieves. Glory carriers, not Glory thieves were called to be conduits through which his power and his splendor and his majesty and his presence and his weightiness can be experienced by all. And not just your friends and your neighbors, but by all the nations, you guys. That's always been his heartbeat. That's the call. So how do we make this practical for uncommon living today? I'm glad you asked. How do we make our lives more about his glory and his fame? I'm going to give you three simple steps. It starts with, number one, when you realize that your life is not about you, but all about him. Can I tell you, most of my time counseling people in ministry is just trying to help them to understand this. <laughs> because here's what happens. Pastor Jason, pray for me. I have this going on in my life. Pastor Jason, help me with this because I have this going on in my life. I, 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 me, 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 look at me. I have my eyes on myself and I don't know what I am called to be about because it's all about me. But if we realize this, we grab a hold of this, that it's not about us. God loves you, but he didn't just save you for your sake. He saved you for the sake of generations to come. 
for people that he's got his eye on and his heart on, and he wants to utilize you and me to do it, to showcase his glory in such a way that people that come and experience it are like, man, that's good. Mm, God is good. We taste and see, and we experience all that he has for us in that. But that can only happen if we realize that it's not about us. You guys, if you could just get this, you'll save yourself thousands of dollars in therapy and counseling. We had a, a close ministry friend who used to work at the Dream Center, if you guys are familiar with it. And uh, he's become a good friend of mine, but he used to work with Matthew Barnett at the Dream Center. And he said, you know, they work with all these addicts, with people that are like homeless and addicted to stuff and just, right, all the problems, mental health, addiction, you name it. And their recovery program is helping them get their eyes off themselves and on serving other people. And he says, it's amazing what happens the minute they have a job, the minute they're given a task that has nothing to do about their little problems and their wounds and the fact that dad wasn't there for them at two years old. And I don't mean to diminish that, but I think sometimes, church, hear me, hear my heart, okay? Hear my heart. Sometimes we get stuck in this, this repetitive loop of trauma and reliving the same story, the same brokenness, the same sad sob story, because it's still about us. It's not about him. And the minute they started helping people get their eyes off themselves and their problems, they didn't magically disappear overnight, but gradually, as they started to serve other people, as they started to recognize, wow, I, I've got a purpose and God created me and put me here on earth for a reason and I can make a difference in this person's life. It's almost amazing how all this other stuff just kind of took a back seat. Isn't it like God just to kind of go, hey, um, follow me for a moment and, and we'll deal with all that other stuff along the way. <laughs> But the minute they got their eyes off themselves, they started to get set free. They started to get delivered. They started to grow in their maturity in Christ. It's amazing. So we have to keep this in mind. We have to realize that our life's not about us, but it's all about him. Number two is very similar. How do we make our lives more about his glory and fame? When we believe that our lives don't belong to us, but belong to him. And what I mean by belong, meaning that he gets to have final say over how you spend your money over how you treat people, over where you go and what you do. Because if your life belongs to him, that means you're no longer in charge. We like to use the word surrender. That's a very nice, beautiful, soft, wonderful word. But the truth is, the Bible uses the term bondservant or slave because we who were once slaves to sin have now been made slaves to righteousness. We're serving at the request of the king, at the pleasure of our good king. So there are times, you guys, where Jesus says, Jason, I need you to go to timeout, and I need you to sit down and wait for me to summon you. And so I sit and I wait, and then I get anxious, and I'm like, oh, God, give me something to do. I don't like this. Maybe I'll, I'll fix this, and I'll start messing with this. Yeah, and I'll start, you know, I'll start doing that. He's like, oh, come on now. But then he goes, Jason, I've got an assignment for you. Come up here. Okay, Lord, I'm here. Let's go. We serve at the pleasure of the king because our life doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. And then finally, number three, when you remember that his name, his fame, his glory is the only glory. It's the only name above all names. This is why God is jealous for his name and for his glory, you guys. Because it's his name. And it's his glory. And maybe somebody was a bad representative of God to you. As a pastor, can I just apologize today and say I'm so sorry that someone misrepresented or mischaracterized the heart of God. But you know what? I'm human. I'm gonna make mistakes. I'll probably do it too. So let me, let me apologize 
in advance. I'm sorry. But here's what God wants us to hear. If it's his name, it's his fame. Meaning God will defend his reputation. You don't need to. And this is where some of us Christians get a little, get a little sideways, especially in this day of, of political tension. We're like, no, I got to defend God's good name. It's up to me. I'm the keyboard crusader that's going to win the internet. And I'm going to defeat this person on Facebook comment section today. And then they're going to grovel and ask for repentance and turn from their way of seeing things to mine. That's not what God does with us. Does God bend you until you break? Sometimes. But you know what I've found? More times than often, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance, Romans says. It's his kindness. It's his patience. It's his willingness to not give up on knuckleheads like you and me, Gert. Right? He's kind. He's patient. He's slow to anger. He does get angry, but he's slow to anger. Some of you didn't have parents who were slow to anger. They were quick to it. <laughs> Where? You did something wrong. Boop. That's not the heart of the father. And his name will carry his reputation. When we say it's the name above all names, we're saying that name also has power and authority over sickness and over death and over disease and over stories and curses and things that were spoken over you as a young person. And I might be speaking to some of that right now. For some of you, you're like, man, you just described my whole life. Can I tell you this? The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All. So cry out to Jesus today. Call on his name. The only name above every other name. Beloved, Jesus is his name. And he is the radiance of God's glory in flesh. I love that after the resurrection, after the cross, he's like, hey, Thomas, you're still struggling with, with whether or not you believe, but go ahead, put your hand in my side. Go ahead and touch the nail-pierced holes of my hands. I love that. He's like, he's not, he doesn't have a problem with that. He's like, come on, bring it. You got questions? You got things that you're wrestling through with God? You're not even sure about God's existence or who Jesus is or if you can even believe all this stuff that's crazy while preachers have been screaming about all morning? Join us for Alpha. Shameless plug. Join us on Wednesdays. Great place to come and learn, discover, explore. But this is the heart of God. He wants you to know his son, Jesus. Because if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know his glory. And if you don't know his glory, then you're not gonna be able to represent him or carry him the way that he wants you to. Because the truth is he made you in his image and likeness to carry glory in the earth, to bear forth who he is, his reputation, his goodness, his name. So call on it. Speak the name of Jesus. Declare it to your friends and your neighbors. And when you do, just watch how his glory and how his fame will be put on display. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.